Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Vesey. Uh, for those of you that tuned in late online or arrived um, late, I'm not Greg Anderson. Uh, Greg tested positive COVID-19 and um, Mimi and I were in Maine. We got back about 10 o'clock last night and thank you, Elaine, for coming to the airport and picking us up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when, when Greg emailed me that he, he wanted me to be liturgist today, I was, I was honored. And then when he called on Friday, <clears throat> or emailed on Friday, <clears throat> and said that he had COVID, and asked me to deliver the message, I was terrified. <laughs> but um, I spoke with him again this morning. He sounds much better. He's on the mend. And so um, throughout, let's keep Greg in our healing graces and prayers. When I uh, read through the sermon the first time, there are two words that kind of jumped out at me, uh, ineffable and panentheism, and they're embedded in here. And the, um, the text this morning is, the God we live and move and have our being. The population of Earth is about 7.8 billion. For most of us, this is too large a figure to comprehend. However, if one were to condense 7.8 billion into 100 persons, and then into various percentage statistics, the resulting analysis is relatively much easier to comprehend. Uh, I received this email, but I do not know its source of accuracy, but I think it is still interesting and perhaps plausible. And whenever I say I, this is Greg speaking, um, out of 100 people, 11 live in Europe, five in North America, nine are in South America, 15 in Africa, 60 in Asia. 49 live, live in the countryside, 51 live in cities. 75 have mobile home, phones, 25 do not. 30 have internet access, 70 do not. Seven received university education. 93 did not attend college. 83 can read. 17 cannot. 33 are Christians, 22 are Muslims, 14 are Hindus, 7 are Buddhists, and 12 are other religions, and 12 have no specified religion. 26 live less than 14 years. 66 die between 15 and 64 years of age. Eight are over 65 years old. If you have your own home, eat full meals and drink clean water, have a mobile phone, can surf the internet, and have gone to college, you are in the minuscule percentage category, in the less than 7% category. If you're over 65 years old, be content and grateful. Church life, cherish life and grasp at the moment. If you do not leave this world before the age of 64, like 92 persons who have gone before you, you're already the blessed among humankind. So take good care of yourself and your health 
and cherish every remaining moment. We're all very lucky to live here in Aspen, Colorado. Besides the beauty of this place, there can be some good influences here and so many people leading pretty fulfilled and active lives. I've been hanging on to another article for a few years entitled, All My Possessions for a Moment in Time. This is a quote from Queen Elizabeth I in the 16th century as she was nearing the end of her life. She was a woman who had everything, but she would still give everything for another day of life. So many of us in Aspen have our share of possessions, but they cannot compare with making every moment of our lives precious and meaningful and often just being with family, friends, and friends. Albert Schweitzer has an influence. After all my years so far, I still believe what makes our lives most meaningful is the spirit within our lives. I would still call this the Holy Spirit in the sense that it is best to perceive all of life as sacred and holy. Albert Schweitzer's theme of life is to have reverence for life, all of life. And I'm still concerned that his bus stands in the middle of Aspen and Pepke Park, yet so few people know this alone, what he stood for and accomplished in life, even though he is a recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. His only visit to this country was to come to Aspen at the beginning of the restart of Aspen's contemporary culture. One of Schweitzer's books was entitled The Quest of the Historical Jesus. Another accomplished person who lives here in Aspen during the summer and has spent her life in quest of the historical Jesus, the early Christianity, is Elaine Pagels. Her latest book is entitled Why Religion? I first met her at the chapel in the early 70s when she was teaching a class on the Nag Hammadi. Uh, cons the Nag Hammadi Library consisting of all those newly discovered Christian and Gnostic texts. At the end of this introductory seminar, I remember telling her that this discovery would change the understanding of Christianity. She agreed, but added that cent centuries of religious tradition will not quickly or easily die. But I can say that Elaine has been one of the main teachers who has changed my understanding over the years with her several books. As I have said hundreds of times, my purpose is to make religion real. And Pagels has made my religion very real. And now her latest book entitled Why Religion is also very real. Her extensive research in the early Christianity has also made Jesus real as well. She sorted through the reality of Jesus with the mythology of Jesus, both of which can be important, but even more importantly is to know the difference. Integrated with her knowledge of the Gospels and the Epistles, and now the books of the Nag Hammadi, <coughs> pardon me, such as the Gospel of Thomas, is her personal story about how she lived through loss of her six-year-old son 
and one year later her husband who died from an accidental fall in Pyramid Peak. She courageously describes her devastating anguish while trying to piece her life back together. The tra traditional or conservative concept of Christ and Christianity did not serve her in her early life, but she kept pursuing a greater truth and reality about Christianity and has made sense out of Christ and Christianity for today. She was eventually able to find help in reading of the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Truth, for example. One of the sayings, <clears throat> sayings became most important to her was, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Elaine slowly put pieces of her life together. In essence, she does not feel that religion rightly understood can help make suffering or she does feel that um, religion rightly understood can help make suffering sufferable. Her concluding sentence quotes a Jewish prayer, Blessed are thou, Lord God of the universe, that you have brought us alive to see this day. Then she states, however it happens sometimes, hearts do heal, though, though that might be only through what is called grace. In part of her book, she writes, the Gospel of Thomas reflects a picture of God as a harsh divine judge who sends Jesus in the world to die for our sins. Instead, she suggests the loving and compassionate Father sent Jesus to find those who are lost and to bring them back home. It is this Father implied that suffering and death are simply a necessary cost of entering into human life motivated by love. The Gospel of Thomas is about relationships. How we come to know ourselves, simultaneously we come to know God. Implicit in this relationship is the paradox of gnosis, not intellectual knowledge, but knowledge from the heart. What first we must come to know is that we cannot fully know God since the source far transcends our understanding. But what we can know is that we are intimately connected with the divine source since in him, her, we live and move and have our being. This is our text this morning from the seventh chap chapter of the book of Acts. God is not found in gold or silver or stone or even synagogues or churches. God is all around and within. Paul Tillich states that God is the ground of all being. It has been a journey, but God is not up there and we down here. God is, in, is here and we live within this mysterious divine reality. Of course, people question that this because I think it's a matter of perspective and attitude. Life is a mystery, but I would rather be in a divine mystery than an evil mystery. Evil exists, and we cannot explain it other than people turn away from the vision of divinity and love. 
First, John boldly states that God is love, period. This is the body in which I choose to live. Another hero of mine is, was, another professor of religion named Marcus Borg. In his great book entitled The Heart of Christianity, he describes two basic images of God. One is the traditional God out there called supernatural theism or the contemporary understanding of God right here, which can be called panentheism. Not only is God here, but he is everywhere and in everything. God is all that is good of creation. We do not know how to explain evil and suffering. We can only trust in life and trust in this ineffable yet still present God. Rather than imagining God as a person, a person like being out there, this broader and deeper concept of God is an all-encompassing spirit in whom everything is, is. The universe is not separate from God, but in God. Borg states that one of the clear compact ex expressions of this God is the attribution of Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, which we read this morning. God is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. We are not only in relationship to God, we are part of God, just like God is our, our literal father and mother. We are in God, we live in God, we move in God, have our being in God. God is not out there, but right here, all around us and within us. As the, the encompassing spirit, God is also more than everything, even as everything is in God. Thus God is not only right here, but also more than right here. I might also add this bigger image of God does not make God unknowable or far away, but just the opposite. God is here and now. Borg states, Whatever God is ultimately like, our relationship to God can remain personal. This relationship engages us as persons at our deepest and most passionate level. We can still choose to trust in life. Uh, one of Greg's, he quoted Harvey Potoff a lot. Another hero of my um, is a teacher named Harvey Potoff who is a Harvard-trained professor. <clears throat> this is one of his favorite stories, which I believe summarizes the message this morning. <clears throat> Once there was a fish who lived in a great ocean. Because the water was transparent and always conveniently got out of the way of his nose when he moved along, he didn't know he was in the ocean. Well, one day the fish did a very dangerous thing. He began to think. Surely I am a remarkable being, and since I can move around like this, this in the middle of empty space. Then the fish became confused because of thinking about moving and swimming, and he suddenly had the anxious paradoxium or attack, thought he had forgotten how to swim. At that moment, he looked down and saw the yawning chasm of the open depths. And he was terrified that he would, 
he would drop. Then he thought, well, I can catch hold of my tail in my mouth, and I can hold myself up. And so he curled himself up and snapped at his tail. Unfortunately, his spine wasn't quite supple enough, so he missed. As he went on trying to catch hold of his tail, the yawning black abyss below became even more terrible, and he was brought to the edge of total nervous breakdown. The fish was about to give up when the ocean, which had been watching with mixed feelings of pity and amusement, said, what are you doing? Oh, said the fish, I'm terrified of falling into the deep dark abyss and I'm trying to catch hold of my tail and my mouth to hold myself up. So the ocean said, well, you've been trying that for some time now and still you haven't fallen down. How come? Oh, of course, I've been sw uh, swimming came the reply, um, well, came the reply, I am the great ocean in which you live and move and are able to be a fish. And I have given all of myself to you in which to swim. And I support you all of the time you swim. But here you are, instead of exploring the length, breadth, depth, and height of my expanse, you're wasting your time pursuing your own end. From then on, the fish put his own inn behind him, where it belonged, and set out to explore the vast and great, wonderful ocean. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.